Welcome to the My Money, My Lifestyle podcast, where we discuss all things money because whether or not we like it, money matters. Now, we know from studying history that entire generations can share a similar money attitude or even a behavior based on a major financial event that their generation experienced. So, for example, people who grew up in the Great Depression in the 1930s or those who grew up during the Second World War tend to be savers. They're quite cautious and even fearful around their money. While those of us who grew up in the 80s, the party years, where the money was flowing, tend to be bigger spenders. And it can even affect the type of asset class we invest in. Those working and investing in the 70s, when we had this major hyperinflation, are big believers in gold, and they invest in gold, whilst those who grew up in the bull market of the 90s tend to buy into shares. So what effect, if any, will the COVID pandemic have on this generation? To discuss this, I'm joined by financial wellness coach, Frank McGuigley. Now, I must just tell you that Frank is one of my favorite people. Um, he and I share a very similar set of values and belief in financial education. So Frank, it is my pleasure to chat to you today. Thank you for inviting me, Maya. And what a wonderful introduction, because what you spoke about regarding how financial events, mostly negative or also positive financial events, can really shape a person's beliefs and attitudes about money. There is a term for that in psychology. And these concepts uh, refer to primacy uh, effects. And effectively, what he's talking about is the idea that um, a person's most recent memory is affected by either what happened at the beginning of a sequence, that's primacy, or recency, what's happening now. I think to make it practical, if you were to ask me, Maya, what is my recollection mm. of hearing that South Africa has recorded its first case of a COVID-19, I would tell you I was sitting in my study, editing an article, and I couldn't believe that what I thought was something out there in China is now in South Africa. Mm. So that's an example of something that happened at the beginning of the sequence, COVID-19 pandemic, and I know exactly where I was and what I was doing. Mm. And then, of course, if you move to recently, it's information around vaccinations now and third wave. And what we see from this explanation is you kind of have this make middle where we don't often remember what happened in the middle. And that is what's happening with financial behaviors in COVID-19, where a number of people would say, sure, the fact that I didn't have emergency funds at the beginning of the pandemic, and my employer said, you know what, you now have to work three days out of the week, and we're going to reduce your salary. It's very vivid in people's memories. Then something that happened you know, in between might not be so clear, and they know what's happening now, based on that behavior, and they don't want ever not to have emergency funds, if we can just use that as an example. That is such an interesting point, actually, because that, you know, Frank, when it happened, I remember Mapolo and I did a podcast literally within a week of, of the whole lockdown happening. And when I go back and I listen to that, I can hear fear in my voice. That is how I felt. I felt afraid. No one knew what was going to happen. The, the calls we were getting, the messages I was receiving, the desperate pleas on social media, the shock 
to everybody. Um, and and what's interesting is I think is that for some people, they have recovered to a certain amount. You know, jobs have got back online. You know, you and I were chatting a little bit earlier about the pivot that one had to do. Suddenly my business, I, I had all these presentations I had to do. All the speaking work <laughs> that I did was canceled. But what did we do? We figured me. out webinars. So Absolutely. those... Those things happened, but the fear has yeah. stayed with us. And, and, and I think that's such a powerful message, actually. And it's so interesting, Maya, that you speak about fear. Because for me, that's also exactly what happened. Because all of a sudden, I realized that most of my business is first workshop. It's motivational talks in front of big audiences. And the first thing that came to my mind was, sure, those are gone. Yeah. And in my business, often you don't get paid a deposit. So when the talk is gone, you know, everything is gone. You have to kind of renegotiate. So I phoned a few of my clients. They said, we don't know what's happening to the world. So, you know, we'll get in touch. So I was afraid mm. about what is the impact of this, you know, on my business. Then I became very anxious because now I wanted a lot of information which just was not available. So it's interesting how sometimes that sort of lack of information can lead to heightened anxiety mm. about what do I need to do? What's the impact on me? What's the impact on my business? You know, Frank, you're also touching on something here that's very important is uncertainty. And as humans, we do not like uncertainty. We feel very uncomfortable in a world of uncertainty, yet the world is fundamentally uncertain. So it's one of these weird things where you would think by this time of our evolution, we had adapted <laughs> to uncertainty. But we haven't. We want to have certainties. And that's it. We want to know. Tell me when the pandemic's coming to an end. We don't know. What do you mean you don't know? You're useless scientists. Everybody's to blame (laughs) because you can't give me an answer that I need. And for me, financial robustness is the only way that I can create some level of certainty. And I think that's what people felt as well. They felt, well, when things get completely out of my control, what is in my control? So that is, I think, also an interesting, interesting response to the situation. Absolutely. And I think what happens when something like, you know, a pandemic comes, we, it's new, nobody really knows how to handle it. You kind of seeing everybody, you know, as things are happening, decisions are being made, let's do this, let's do that. Some things don't work, we're going to change. So with finances at the beginning, I think a number of my clients, when I talk to them and we look back, it was like, I don't really think this will impact me that much because I've got my job without realizing the impact on companies. Then the impact on companies came and then companies made decisions, said some had to retrench or reduced um, you know, work hours. And I think that next phase made it come close to home because the moment somebody was asked to work less or their pay was reduced, suddenly you thought about, do I have savings? What does this mean for my finances? And then if I may take it even a little bit further, I've also found clients who were not impacted themselves, but a sibling or a parent were impacted. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, you know, they are wanting to help that parent or the sibling. And as a result of that, because I'm now helping someone, I want to know when this thing is going to end <laughs> so that life gets back to normal. My parent, my brother, my sibling gets back to work and I'm not supporting them. The longer it dragged on, I think the more people started to experience both the financial stress of having to help someone when I hadn't planned for it, Mm -hmm. but also just mentally wanting to know when is it going to end because if it takes long, my finances are going to be badly affected. Absolutely. Um, But the other thing I saw, Frank, and we all saw was that 
with lockdown came, we couldn't spend money. Remember, they told us literally what clothes we could wear. I mean, how ridiculous. I mean, you do go back now and you think, goodness me. Well, I think we knew it was ridiculous, ridiculous. at the time. And it's still ridiculous, okay? It's yeah. like a T-shirt, if it's not a vest, it's not a, if, you know, you can't buy a T-shirt unless you're wearing it under something because then it's a vest. Yeah. I mean, those are the kind of ludicrous levels we were getting. Yes. But what it did is it, it, it suddenly made us realize needs and wants overnight we were like if ever we were trying to drum in frank what is a need and what is a want it was overnight literally the government told us what our needs were and we weren't allowed to have our wants and people suddenly had extra cash and there was a wake-up call for a lot of people i mean did you see that happening with with the clients you were working with absolutely maya and that is the power of that you know primates and recent effects that i was talking about because all of a sudden what was happening is in the midst of you can't go uh, you know, out to a restaurant. You can't go and buy this, as you were explaining just now. There are all these restrictions, or even working from home, you now don't need to have to buy you know, food at the canteen. So what all that did, all of a sudden, consumers became aware of their spending. Wow, I didn't realize I spent this much on fuel. I didn't realize I spent this much on lunch. So all of a sudden, you almost have these four savings that came into the system driven by lack of opportunities to spend. I must emphasize that, Maya. This was driven by lack of opportunities to spend. And hence, it's important for us to say, if things get back to normal, are we going to see these gains in people's habits and financial behaviors that I struggled a little bit at the beginning of the pandemic? I vowed never to go through something like that because emergency savings are important and therefore I will continue, you know, to be careful about my expenses. So this is the million dollar question, right? This is exactly it. Absolutely. Is this going to translate into permanent changes? And I'm, I, mean, I reflect back to something like if I look at my mom's generations, my mom was a war child, yeah. okay? Yeah. And I grew up with her whenever we got presents, you know, it was my birthday and I got presents. She would carefully, carefully take the wrapping paper off, fold it and keep it to use again. Okay. And that was that generation. It was instilled in them. The, you know, recycle. In fact, you know, we, if we want to know about recycling, we just need to go to, 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 to people who live through the wall, right? They understood recycling like at a different level. Okay. In fact, they are the eco warriors that we should all be Absolutely. referring to. They never threw anything away. It could all be done, reused. Yeah. And so that really, really became part of the DNA of that generation. And I saw a survey, actually TransUnion, the credit bureau did a survey recently that found that 99% of people that they surveyed are prioritizing saving, 99%. So that's at the moment. Do you think, what is it going to take for that to become my mother's wrapping paper? What is it going to take to actually go into the (laughs) DNA of, of this generation? As you said earlier, Maya, you know, that's the million-dollar question. So I think for now, in my mind at least, and I have also tried to ask some of my clients what's driving their saving behaviors. So I can say with a level of confidence, Maya, that um, the current savings that we are seeing are driven by the recent memory of the impact of the pandemic on people's finances. And people have just said, damn, this was tough. I don't want something like that to ever happen to me. So in a way, it's a good thing because it has shown them that they have ability to save. There was some of this money in terms of you know, their day-to-day expenditures that could be put aside. I think if we're now talking this becoming a financial habit in the long term, two, three years from now, 
individuals can't just rely on the memory of what it was like at the beginning of COVID-19 pandemic, because that will start fading away, right? Mm -hmm. So what we need is ways to help people adopt new financial behaviors that are influenced by what they experienced at the beginning of the pandemic. And that's where an amazing book that talks about how people can change behaviors in almost like an evidence-based way. This is BJ Fogg, a professor at Stanford. And for the last two decades or so, he has spent his time trying to understand what drives human behavior change. And he has looked at things like savings, Maya. Uh, he has looked at things at driving, flossing, mm-hmm. holding on to your uh, New Year resolutions, you know, for example. Out of all his studies, this is what has come out. And it's referred to as the fog behavior model. Very simple. Behavior change happens when, firstly, there is motivation to change the behavior. That's kind of obvious. Then we so move we, to the next we have, one. We have the motivation, right? The motivation is <laughs> been scared there. Scared okay, to the death. Motivation is there. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. exactly, because of the experience of the pandemic. Then you move to the next key element, Maya, which is ability. Mm-hmm. I want to change my behavior to save. Can I actually do it? Am I able to do it? Mm-hmm. Ability becomes very important. We'll come back to that. The third element is the need of a trigger, Maya, or a reminder. Something that reminds you that you are planning to save every month and you are able to do so. So please then do so. Because as you would know, people often have this knowledge and doing gap. I know I'm a save, but they don't save. Mm. And that's where the model for me makes it so simple for individuals. Because it simply says, if the motivation is there and you need to then really ask yourself, these changes that I want to adopt, building money for emergency savings, for example, uh, or I've seen some of my clients, some of the financial behaviors they're talking about is, I think I need life cover. I've never believed in the power of having life cover. I had a recent client who said to me, I think income protection is important. That's the one thing that I'm thinking about. So you may think of all those things. Then we need to say, Am I able to do it? So the ability to do it simply means really looking at it. If do I have the dispositional, uh, disposable income to actually do mm. that, that's number one. Number two, do I have an accountability partner, a trigger, something that will remind me to do it? Because often you get to the end of the month, people spend, and then they say, hey, I plan to save, but I'm no longer you know, able to because the money has been used up. And that's where the trigger comes to mind. So BJ Fogg says, one of the ways to make a habit stick is simply to automate where you can. Remember, I spoke about ability. So if you have automated, you have made most it very simple. You don't need willpower. You don't need discipline. So if you are thinking of building for emergency funds, for example, my someone who's planning to do that may simply say, you know what, irrespective of the amount, let me put a stop order from my current account into a savings account. The day I am paid, that money comes out from my account and straight goes into my savings account. And you can see the motivation is there, the ability, I've automated it. The trigger, my money comes in and it's sweeped into my savings account. Mm -hmm. 
I mean, that is so powerful. And I mean, I think that the book uh, BJ Fogg wrote was Tiny Habits, the small changes that change everything. And it is about that, right? Because I think, you know, people feel so overwhelmed by, I need to achieve all of these things. And it just feels so big. I'm sure you, you you know, when you sit with a a client and they say, you say, well, you need like 10 million to retire and they go, ah, but actually it's all about just starting those incremental changes. And, you know, it's, I'll, I'll give you an example for me is, is I was trying to give up coffee and I drink too much coffee and I didn't try and stow cold turkey overnight. I thought what I will do is I will have one less cup, you know, every week I'll cut a cup, go a cup less, a cup less, a cup less. So it is also about that. So how does one, I mean, is that also part of it? It's just to say right now I only have that 200 rand a month and all I'm going to do, my first goal is at least to start building up that emergency fund. Let me at least take that step. Absolutely, Maya. And I say to clients and, and BJ Fox says the same thing. Do not worry about the amount. It's about the behavior that you are starting to put in place, which will become a habit. Because as you put that 100 rand aside, my or 150 rand, right? Another element of his model is you need to congratulate yourself and celebrate. So can you imagine you were not saving before? In six months, your 150 rand are 900 rand that you didn't have. And you celebrate. When you celebrate, you even want that habit to stick and you want to save even more. So it's really about starting small. A practical example would be, for example, a number of clients come to me and they say, Yo, I've got a huge amount of debt. Look at my credit card. Look at my personal loan. I don't even know where to start. And I often say to them, you know, most financial planners, and this is what makes economic sense, they say, start with the one that is charging you the highest level of interest. I do the opposite and I explain to them why. I say, you know what? We need some early wins in this new habit of reducing debt. How about let's start with this retail account. I see you only owe 750 rents outstanding here. Let's do 150 rents. And before we know it, we are done by this. My, I've had clients coming back to me years after. They have paid off huge debt saying it's all started with a small amount towards a retail account. Then I got excited. I realized I could do it. Then I moved on to another one and I moved on to another one. And that's exactly what BJ Fox says. And in fact, he tells a story in his book that, you know, he was having a tough time in his life, facing many challenges. And, and it's a funny story that he says that he knew it's good to floss your teeth. But he just couldn't get to do it. So he started with one tooth. Maya, one tooth. That's where the idea of tiny habits came from. For two decades, he's been doing that. And of course, he then moved from, you know, crossing a single tooth to new resolutions, to losing weight, to saving for retirement, to building emergency fund. But the idea came to him from, okay, I'm going to start with one tooth. And then he said, you are done. And then he celebrated. And then the following day, two and three. And before you know it, he has the habit of flossing his teeth. 
But, you know, I always think about that. You know, we are, I don't know what you're like with cleaning your teeth, but from a young age, you know, you get taught to clean your teeth in the morning and the evening. And it is so embedded yes. and part of your yeah. discipline that you think, well, yes. if I can get clean my teeth every day, I mean, I'm sure there are other positive habits that I can that I can put in. And Frank, you know, your story, you, you know, talking about paying off that, that retail card. Now, um, what many of our listeners will not know is that Frank is the reason Moneymaker actually exists. <laughs> The City Press money makeover. So at the time, many of our five years ago, Frank was actually working yes. at Momentum. And he yes. um, he just embraced this idea of the money makeover competition where we take people through a six month. I think we did a year. I think we realized a year was very long and we've made short six months. But Frank, yeah. you know, you so you and I have shared that journey and you're an amazing partner to have on that journey. Um, but, you know, we I see it already. I mean, we're two months into the new money makeover for this year. Yeah. And I'm like, what? They're like, but I paid off that debt. How did that happen? I just don't understand how it happened. That's what they tell me. It's like, it's like somebody waved a magic wand and this debt disappeared, but it's not. It's simply that they allocated resources to it. So money that they were spending on other stuff, they simply said, I'm going to pay off my debt and the debt's gone. And that feeling of control, in fact, one of the candidates said to me, she, she, she cannot believe the difference in her psyche, the fact that her she's starting to pay off her debts. She said suddenly she feels in control. And I think that feeling, I spoke earlier about uncertainty. The world is so uncertain. There's so many things we can't predict. But when we can pay off a debt, when we realize that the power to pay off a debt, the power to start an emergency fund, the power to start investing lies with us. Absolutely, my change. Yeah, absolutely, my. And in fact, what the money makeover does is really a classic example of this, uh, you know, BJ Fogg behavior model. Remember, we said motivation has to be there, ability has to be there, and we need a trigger. In other words, a reminder to practice that behavior. So let's look at money makeover. Definitely, the motivation is there because they write to you to qualify to be on the program. So tick motivation. That's easy. Ability, where does ability come from? Firstly, by being guided by financial coach, by being told that I believe in you, you can do it. Let's just look at your finances, where the money is going now, and I think you'll be able to do it. And if you move to the third leg, you know, the trigger itself, the fact that they know they're going to have a discussion with their financial coach, they know it's going to be written in city press to talk about their progress, all the elements of motivation, ability, and trigger. And of course, what that says to us, Maya, for the listeners, is often we underestimate the power of having an accountability partner. Either it's a financial coach, it's a financial plan, someone who tells your goal to build an emergency fund. Mm -hmm. And the moment you tell them something psychologically happens to you, they are going to ask you in two months' time, ha, by the way, how are you doing on that goal? And that becomes your trigger and your motivation. You know, Frank, I actually wrote, um, I have a, a bi-weekly newsletter, and that's exactly what I wrote about this week. And I actually encouraged people, and of course, Frank is one of the people I would encourage you to reach out to. I said to people, <laughs> you know what, go, if you if you need more, and I spoke about me needing to go, I have to go and I have to do exercise for my back. Right. Now, I can yeah. tell you, I can do as many YouTube videos at home and save myself yeah. money. I just don't do it. By paying for a, a class twice a week, I go, I've paid for it, so I'm going to go. They're waiting for me. She'll hold me accountable. I go. And, uh, you know, the difference it's made to my back is actually just incredible. The amount of physio bills I'm saving by not having to go to the physio every five minutes is amazing. But I needed to find something 
something that that helped me, kept me accountable, kept, kept me motivated, made me go. And for some people that may be spending money on a money coach or a financial uh, planner or somebody who, who, yes, it's money, but boy, the things we spend money on, the things that we don't blink when it comes to spending money, oh, you'll go on a holiday and blow a huge amount of money, but you don't think the same thing about your finances, you know, finding a partner who's really going to turn it around. So I actually did my newsletter on that this week, I might add. So you are talking exactly to what, what, what I've, I agree with completely is, is the importance of finding an accountability partner. But sometimes that can actually be your spouse or your partner where you hold each Absolutely. other accountable. Absolutely. You know, without a doubt, it doesn't have to be a financial coach, you know, a financial advisor. If one is not willing to go through, it could be a mentor. It could be someone. For, at the end of the day, you know, for me, Maya, that person, if I were to describe them, I would say, this is a person that I know at any given time, they have my back. They care about me. They care about me achieving this goal. So if you define it like that, the person who fits that bill, that person can be an awesome um, accountability partner to make sure that you do what you commit mm. and then you'll see the results. I was in a class recently and I said to my, you know, to my, to my students that I find it amazing that um, when I say, you know, guys, financial coaching, maybe at 915 hours, some people charge 650, the rates are different. People just say, but I, I don't have that money and that expensive. And I said to them, but guys, don't we go to a GP? For six fifty an hour, right? The fact is, you're investing in your health. It's exactly the same as investing in your financial health, because some of the tips that you'd get from that financial court they really benefit you in the long run. Particularly something like getting a credit report and getting someone to walk you through the steps of get your report, and these are the behaviors that will make sure that you maintain a good score. Once you have a good score, think of the savings from getting good interest rates. So that's what I explained to some of my students today. And they were just a bit rolling my eyes saying, huh? we expect you to say that because you are a financial coach. But I truly believe that. I truly believe in getting professional help. Well, Frank, I'm not, um, I don't charge my time. I'm not a, a, a financial coach one-on-one. -on -one. Obviously, I do a lot of, of, of work via, through, through mass media. And I, yeah. so I have no vested interest in saying that I think it's really Absolutely. Good. So but they I take think, it from you, Maya. I take it from me. And, and one of the yes. things that I do say is pay for the time. You know, one of the big issues I have, of course, are commission-driven salespeople. Yes. they're not going to have your interests aligned. I always say, you know, if you went to the doctor and the doctor made money out of the medicine they prescribed you, how much medicine do you think you're going to walk out of the doctor's shoes with when maybe all you needed was a Bernardo, you know? So um, I think it is worth finding uh, somebody to, to motivate, uh, to work, walk the path with you. And, you know, just like I pay for my gym classes, go pay for some financial for your financial coach, absolutely. And, um, and, and on, a, on an ending note, Frank, I just want to ask, what do you think the probability is? Okay, so obviously there are individuals out there who want to change their mindsets. They want to change their money attitude. But as a nation, do you think this has been a good trigger? Do you think, just what's your gut feel? Do you think we're going to come out of this as people who will have a better attitude, especially to things like credit um, and savings? Absolutely, Maya, without a doubt. Nearly all workshops that I've done, people are grateful for the money lesson they've learned. Yes, they admit, yeah, it was hard, you know, it was painful. But suddenly I realized, for example, yesterday I had somebody saying to me, do you know, I found 6,000 in my budget that I didn't know was there. I was just spending it. And now I'm saving. So yes, 
it was painful to have those lessons, but I have no doubt in my mind, it has laid a good foundation to develop good financial uh, behaviors, which hopefully can translate into good financial long-term habits. Wonderful. Well, I think on that very positive note, Frank, because I love being positive. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I thank you. Thank you. And uh, Frank, I will put your content, your uh, website details on the link in the podcast so people can also just learn more about you because you're a wonderful person um, and mentor to many, many people. And you also um, are a lecturer at Gibbs Business School. Yeah, thank you for those kind words, my love, working with you. Thank you for the invitation to be on your podcast. You've been listening to the My Money, My Lifestyle podcast featuring the contributors of the City Press personal finance pages. 